0: There's a teaching from the Buddha which says, I do not perceive even one thing that leads to such great harm and suffering as an undeveloped mind. And I do not perceive even one thing that leads to such great benefit and happiness as a cultivated and developed mind. So this uh, opportunity that we have here together to cultivate the dharma through this practice of um, meditation, contemplation, wise reflection on our direct experience is the essence of the cultivation of this jitta, this heart-mind. through which we um, set the causes and conditions for alleviating and overcoming the experience of dukkha, that's uh, so often generated from the avijja, the ignorance, the not understanding. <coughs> um, the ignorance within the mind is projected into the sense of self and projected outwardly onto the world. And of course, we only have to have a short scroll down on our social media to see the state of the world and the projection of the mind that's uh, created it this human mind and yet we can also see great brilliance and beauty and creativity and potential and empathy and humanity so we have these um, seems to be almost equal and opposing forces that operate within the human jitta, the human heart, the forces of awakening and the force of ignorance and delusion, and all intersects within our own personal body, heart, mind, and uh, being. So it's an interesting dilemma and opportunity. So this cultivation of the path, is the um, what the Buddha taught, that there is a, a path that um, supports the awakening process. And as Kitty Saro pointed out last night, although we talk about path and it sounds like a linear process in time from A to B, and in some ways that is how it is, ultimately in, a, in reality it's a path ever leading inward here and now, into the understanding that we're awakening to what's already here, our inherent enlightened nature. It didn't ever go anywhere, didn't ever desert us, but became eclipsed by the unilluminated hindrances that we have yet to um, liberate and transform and see clearly. So to this activity of uh, today, as we begin our retreat, establishing ourselves within the activity of the path, and as the Buddha said uh, you know, all those long years ago, magga hatta wa meaning that magga, meaning path, hatta, the, the practice of the path, hatta breaks up Kilesa, that which obstructs. Uh, which eclipses this already radiant, illuminated, free consciousness, conscious awareness. So that our task then is to activate the path activity, to have moments of applying the activity of the path of awakening. And if we approach that from the sense of me doing this thing of awakening, it becomes a really big task <laughs> and a really big deal and quite a burden. You know, we sort of... thats Because that's how we operate, from the sense of me doing all of this. And so it has to be me that now has a new task, which is to somehow enlighten myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the very premise that we operate from is in a way, is problematic. Um, and the very me that's trying to do all of this is in some ways, um, you know, is, is, is an agency that we work through, but it's also a little bit of the culprit in the first place. So um, really, this, you know, to, to think about applying moments of the path is uh, to do it in ways that are very accessible, that it's just moments... It's not like, a, we can think of it as a big long-term project. which is really this moment, because isn't that all there ever really is? Is this moment that we then apply these factors of the path that we'll be exploring and practicing together. And then patu upati tamatang, as the Buddha said, as those moments of applied path activity begin to ripen, they give rise, according to, uh, the, of the liberated heart, according to the dharma, according to an organic and natural unfolding. It's not that we can actually create the fruit and ripen it. Uh, it ripens of its own time. So, how do we begin? Well, you know, this is old territory for many of us and many of. You um, and yet this sati, this mindfulness, is an act of remembering again and again because we hear it and we know it, but we always forget. <laughs> However long we've been doing this, <laughs> we uh, slide off into our dreams and you know get tangled up. So the Buddha encouraged us that there is this way, this uh, practice that we'll start this morning. Um, or we begin and begin again at, of coming here to be uh, establishing mindfulness, mindful awareness, presence to breath and body. as a practice of establishing mindfulness, as the Buddha taught, for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and despair, for the passing away of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, and for the realization of Nibbāna. This is the way that he taught. It doesn't sound too bad, I think we could do that. <laughs> for the unshakable deliverance of the jitta, of the heart. <clears throat> and It's not taught for some super-being, this is taught because we can actually do this thing. Um, and it's actually much simpler than we think. When we think it becomes very complicated. The activity of the path and the appliance of moments of awareness to how it is, is the simplest thing that there is to do. So we begin by, we come on retreat, viveka, as was mentioned last night, this word, to withdraw from. To withdraw the body, first of all, from the activity of the daily round. And then to practice this withdrawing the mind. At first, it was the first steps. And what do we withdraw the mind from? As is said in the graduated steps of the Satipatthana, of the steps of applying mindful awareness, we put away for now. We can always return to at any time. But we put away the covetousness and grief for the world, the hankering and the disappointment for the world, the longing and the aversion and the stress of the world. Um, You know, we put our mind to what's happening here in America, you know, all of that arises. (laughs) It's a a real storm of um, terrible disaster, we know. And, uh, and it's not that we shouldn't engage, we absolutely should, and we shouldn't be deeply feeling with all that's happening, um, not only in America, but across the planet right now. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's very different to be in contact with the world from a, the stability of a liberated, free jitta that has access to deep intelligence and um, lucidity and wisdom and clarity, and stability, and mindfulness. It's very different to be in contact with how it is from that place in space than to be in contact from our reactivity and our overwhelm and our um, inability to really um, sustain some well being. So it is necessary um, for health and for effectiveness to, to do what we're doing, to withdraw from the momentum of how it is and to establish our attention not to the demands, the endless demands upon us, but to establish our attention here and now to what is. Bringing, as is said in the sutta, sati in front, which kind of means making it primary, making it the primary thing that we bring to bear upon our experience. Bring, bringing awareness to, first of all, as the, as the Buddha taught, to breath within the body. Being able to feel, this is something, it's actually a very profound teaching because we're always Breathing and you know at first we think of the breath as that <clears throat> inhalation and exhalation which it is, which it is that sense of the expansion and contraction of that um, endless flow of the of the the air element we can feel and is nourishing us but also the breath is that and that we can bring attention to that, and this is the practice, but also breath is the vayodhatu, is the air element. So it's also the experience of sensation, movement, tingling. This is all part of the breath energy. So as we come into contact and bring awareness to body and receive the experience of our embodied feeling, sensation, sense it, experience, then this is all part of the breath energy and at the heart of that is this expansion and contraction and as the Buddha said we can feel the long breath from the sensation of the breath coming to the nostrils and expanding into the lungs and down into the belly we can follow that And then as it turns into the exhalation, it's a different set of sensations. Sometimes to connect with that, we can exaggerate that breath, deepen it, slow it. So we can connect so the mind hooks to it, attention hooks to it. It's a long breath. And through that breath we can start to feel the subtle sensation of the chi, the prana energy as it suffuses through the body. Up into the brain, down through the torso and arms, through the pelvic area, the belly, and down through the legs, the feet and hands. So sometimes it falls to the short breath, gets more subtle. We just the attention just lands at some area within the sentient experience of the body and settles there. Settles on the sensation or part of the breath. Experiencing as the as the Buddha goes on, these steps, establishing awareness, mindfulness to body, breath. Experiencing the whole body is the next instruction. It's not sort of clamping down the body, it's not trying to control the body, but it's opening into the body experience. Sapakaya Pattisangwedi. The whole body, feeling within the whole body, patti samwedi. To feel with the whole of our embodied experience, experiencing the body, calming, calming the bodily formation in this practice and then contemplating as that as we are with how it is noticing the arising and vanishing things are arising and vanishing thoughts feelings sounds sensations to the extent that's just enough awareness there is this body abiding independent not clinging to anything in the world So, this is a practice that's really encouraging us to come into a state of presence I'm completely and utterly committed to this being with our being. And uh, you know, being mindful that we can move into these abstractions where we start to view. You know, sort of watching the breath, watching, and then creating a sense of distance from. And then because there's a distance, we, we sort of create a system to do it. And it sort of starts to become more compulsive and rigid and conceptualized, automatic. And in the process, we lose that direct contact with what is actually felt. So being careful not to, in the you know, to not create uh, a self that's doing the, you know, becomes the sort of controller of it all. <laughs> the judge and the resolver, <laughs> you know, who starts to supervise and give you sort of brownie points. <laughs> or you know, the aloof one doesn't want to really feel anything. <laughs> we're very good at that as Buddhists, you know, I just sort of go up to that space somewhere. <laughs> just don't let me feel anything, man, no oh day. <laughs> but actually what we're doing is more radical. You know, we're actually being willing to be sensitive, to re-sensitize ourselves, you know, because this whole project of abstraction that we're conditioned into is to desensitization. That's why we're doing what we're doing on the planet and to other beings, because we've cut away from our, being praised for, becoming abstracted and desensitized. Automatons, machine-like almost. So to allow the body to feel what it feels, allow ourselves to be sensitive to what is experienced, to unhook from how we relate to the body through the projection of the mind, judging it, fantasizing about being averse to, clinging to, frightened of, grief around, fear and speculation, what will happen. One of these different ways that we think about our body. So this practice is being present to the feeling and experience of a body breathing, this body, our body. One breath at a time. So this receptivity, this is a profound state of receptivity. It also has the training of attention, which is somewhat yang, like directing the attention here. There is a training. How is it now? And you ask the question, how is it now? It directs attention to now. How is it now for you? So when we find ourselves thinking about caught, dreaming, worrying, anxious, how is it now? And taking just maybe one, two, three deepening breaths, how is it now? Just feeling back patiently, kindly, all the time in the world, because this is a very, very patient process. And then that deep receptivity, listening in. See the Quan Yin, the one that listens, not from the objectifying, judging, but deeply receptive, listening in to all the layers within what is experienced as what we call our body, all the energetic conditionings that shape. How the body holds itself, how the self is formed, this very profound territory. In the earliest conditionings that we received before we spoke, which were all really about what was felt, what was thought, what was really felt, very deep, very early conditionings, feeling tones, emotions. some of which are not too conscious to us. And then all the systemic conditionings of how this body appeared in this society, with its histories, cultural histories, the power dynamics, with the epigenetic, the, the ancestral conditioning that we carry. All the ways that we've been conditioned through class and race and gender, culture, historic family tendencies, <coughs> it's all within this body. It's all within this body. When we touch, that's why well, it's hard to be here. <laughs> it's very hard to be here. So although it's a very simple practice, it's not to say that It's easy but it is this practice of being present to and being willing to feel with mindful attention that's receptive, that's kind, is that which begins to metabolize, heal, transform these deep energetic holdings that have been there for a long time. So this morning as we begin our practice, being with what we're with, including our own personal stream of karma, which is very unique, and threads through and sometimes transcends all of the other conditionings. To realize what we're doing here is is not removing ourselves, what is important but putting ourselves right in the heart of what is really important which is uh, you know uh, to really hold true to the deepest part of our personal collective being our conscious awareness to value that honor that, to make that, empower ourselves in that, rather than all of the projected narratives that seem to shape us and hold power over us, to realize that this conscious awareness, aware presence to how it is here is bringing ourselves home, connecting ourselves to a deeper the living dharma, as Ajahn Child would call it, the deepest intelligence that can inform us and flow through us, liberate us. Moment by moment, through this simple practice, it's returning, how is it now? So how is it now? The so coming to our experience, You know, just feeling in to what's present. So rather than imposing a technique or doing something to yourself, just feeling what are you with? How do you feel? What's, how does the body feel? What's the state of mind? What's the mood? What's the energy level like? And it's not about it has to be different or it should be different. It's how it is. It's perfect how it is. It's its own intelligence manifesting. We're just feeling and listening into our being, our body, the sensations, the feeling tones. As we do that, we're noticing this rhythm of what we call breath, as if it's a static noun, this alive experience. Like the endless waves on the ocean, rising and then dissolving back into the depths of the immovable. It's rising of the breath energy and feeling as it suffuses, subtly, it's life-giving life force through the body. And that, that's felt as how it's felt. Subtle sensation, vibration. permission as the exhalation, the natural, the dying away of what has arisen, a natural invitation to soften through the body, to soften the jaw and these places where we hold the face and the jaw and the shoulders and down through the torso and arms, softening the belly. The lower back, buttocks, legs, feet. So there's a feeling as we exhale of landing more into our seat. And the earth supporting.
1: And you notice
0: there's a different quality to the inhalation. Maybe it brings a little sense of lengthening through the spine, opening through the chest. Maybe just very subtle adjustments in the body so the body feels comfortable, even if there's discomfort. So each inhalation, as it suffuses through the body, is dissolving these energetic places where we hold the dukkha. And the exhalation is a sense of natural release, letting go. So, as the mind goes where it goes, just uh, with uh, some compassion, kindly being able to instruct it, just not now, we can go there and worry about that later or think about that later, plan that later. So, not now, it's just like you just put that on there on the shelf and return to it later. How is it now here? and the patience and kindness and love that's required to really be with our body to bring that patience love kindness to the body in this practice trying to become experts at this (laughs) or that part of the mind that wants to be the expert but uh, for the night of the uh, before the Buddha's awakening his big insight when he remembered the profundity of being with breath was that he had the memory of being a child Um, of when he was with the breath that childlike mind so think of that more rather than the expert that's going to kind of get this down and, you know, zoom through the jhanas and all of that (laughs) and write up a PhD about it. (laughs) That's fine. That's all fine too, but, you know, remembering that more open, childlike approach, not only to our being, our breath, our body, but, you know, to how it is. It's not the child that doesn't have wisdom, actually. The Buddha had wisdom. So the benefit of both a childlike gaze and then that which can wisely be with experience, discerning. So um, I'm just uh, sort of linked into what I've just been saying and what we're practicing, and particularly about body and how bodies show up in these spaces that we share together collectively. And what I was saying last night, and perhaps because we were just landing, I hadn't really been able to say it as well as I would have liked to have said it, or invite you more fully into considering um, the uh, importance of being able to have spaces that we do this practice in that are safe for everyone that feels supportive for everyone that does don't, don't land up marginalizing people in the same way, not intentionally, not that anyone is doing that that at all, but just in the same way in the, the wider collective world, how some groups of peoples are marginalized um, socially, politically, economically, for various agendas, and some of those agendas are historic and have a lot of devastating impact on the bodies of those peoples that have been marginalised historically. And so through the learnings around this in our um, insight movement over many years now, um, and it is a a learning curve to try and um, understand how in the transmission of the Dharma it's mainly been through the white um, middle upper class um, Power structure, really, and how that's landed, and how that's often, ironically, because the transmission that we've received has come come from two and a half thousand years of being held through Asian um, Buddhist, uh, you know, devotion, faith, and practice, um, a lot through monastic practice, and um, also supported by lay and engaged by lay practitioners. But however, the dominant um, culture that we're in is one that is dominantly favours uh, white, more middle economic class, um, more heterosexual, gendered, and so on. That is just the dominant narrative that we're in. Um, and often through that, there are in, in conditioned into our systems these blind spots. And not only for us, White bodies, but you know the, the whiteness that operates as a, a power dynamic. Um, I've seen as we're working in Africa, also that, has, that gets internalized in, through internalized oppression. And so it's a very deep. This is a very deep contemplation how these structures, if you know, these dominant structures of patriarchy and and um, whiteness and um, economic class. Um, become internalized for all of us, actually. Um, And, you know, wherever we are, you know, wherever we are gender, wherever we are out of gender binary, in terms of patriarchy, wherever we are in race, in our race, in our class, and so on. Um, But, however, to try and really also understand that for uh, people coming into dominant white spaces that have from people of colour communities, that it can be very feel not because anyone is doing anything to make that happen, but it doesn't always feel safe because of the historic um, and systemic situation that we're in in the wider world. And the same for people from the LGBTQI communities that can also have the same effect. So what has been happening more recently as this learning curve is undertaken... Um, through mostly through um, quite a hard process. It's not these aren't easy processes of waking up, um, and but to wanting to really deeply wake up, <laughs> and not just internally wake up, but to have that awakening energy affect the system, systems that we're within. So the systems themselves reflect more equity and compassion, um, and. Um, uh, authentic the ability to authentically hear each other from where we've come from, that there's definitely been a need to rebalance the imbalances that we have all inherited in a very conscious way Um, and so to do that um, what has been very helpful is not necessarily that everyone that experiences part of their identity or, or fullness of their identity is coming from a marginal it's not that they're from a marginal group, but it's how the society places people in marginal, in the marginal positions, that um, it's been very helpful in these retreat spaces, which, although they're silent, they can active, be very activating for all of us in very different ways um, as we connect with each other, um, is that it's been very helpful to offer the space for affinity groups where uh, people that um, from the POC community or the LBGT community uh, feel that it's helpful to have uh, sitting groups with each other um, that, that, if so I just would like you to consider it not to just sort of like just put it out there without explaining the context <laughs> um, and so that we all are on the same page and realising those of us that and we can all go into a real sort of Minutiae of how we identify um, and have it, you know, mirrored affinity groups, and and that is not without validity, but it could become like very complex and and unwieldy, and perhaps really deflecting from the necessity to understand that um, white supremacy is a real thing (laughs) in our society, and we see that how that has been inflamed for political ends. In our current times and which which necessitates for for us to turn up the volume on the re- need to rebalance and support people that feel very marginalized and that threatened by that narrative that's going on in our culture and how we might unwittingly represent not because we do internally but because we're white some of us here most of us here the majority of us here um, So if if, um, those who identify from the People of Colour community um, or identify from the LBGTQI community would like to um, have a space where you can sit together um, for one of the sitting spaces, and that would by default be, we would have the white space (laughs) sitting together. Um, We would really like to offer that and make that possible. So I think the best way to do that is if you can just write us a note. Not, ev- not everyone that I identify in those communities might want to do that. I don't know. I don't really want to bring into an open discussion and put people on the spot in a way that could feel unsafe and uncomfortable. So if you would like to send uh, us a note, if that would feel helpful for you. And our experience of, um, of the feedback that we've received... Is that it's very, very powerful and very, very helpful for people to be able to sit within their own ally group, as it's called. Um, that it can be very, make a huge difference in their ability to um, be in the retreat space and to feel um, empowered and safe and um, be able to fully participate and to feel fully welcomed. Um, and for you know, um, that everyone can feel... well. I mean, that you know, we really want everyone to feel welcomed in this space and able to be in this space w- without feeling um, in a marginal place. And so it's something that we also need to track. So we also, any uh, feedback around this territory, you can also write to us or alert us and speak to us at any time. Um, or we would make a time... Um, because it's really important, this is actually saying all this, not just because this is a sideline, this is central to the unfolding of the transmission of the Dharma um, at this time in the West. (laughs) And in some ways, um, the ability to make this transition with this respect and consideration to this territory probably the ability for the Dharma to make a transition really deeply and authentically is really dependent on how well us in this generation that we're in now can do this together. I um, mean, it isn't a comfortable conversation. It isn't an easy conversation. Um, it's a very complex conversation in some ways, and yet it's also very simple. You're just, you know, recognizing historical... Injustices and making the vow to attend to readdressing them as best as we can. So let us know um, where you're at with that, and then we'll uh, do what we can to create the spaces that we can in this form um, to support this ongoing conversation that we're having in the in this community. So to take this practice out into the the environment outside, we say take it into nature. Without realizing we're part of nature, it's part of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> it's like we're somehow like looking at nature. <laughs> um, you know, as we become deeper into our being, we realize nature is alive. It's all alive, speaking, and we're in communion. We're not. You know, we, you know, I think because we feel. So when I think about that, you know, the, the sense of shame and alienation and pain about what we've done keeps us sort of. But you know, I, I also feel that there's an invitation in nature for us to join our rightful place, actually, of being in alliance, as the um, kogi from the. Um, High Mountains of Colombia, and their communications to us have said, indigenous peoples have said, we this human mind um, is needed as to be a conduit. And in relationship with nature, we're part of it. We're not alienated from. We need to reclaim our appropriate relationship. This is part of what our retreat's about, and we have this wonderful space to do that within. With this vibrant power, where we are the, the the external environment to us here is the dominant um, power. And we are, the, you know, humbly asking to be in relationship with. So we're going out to walk with humility, with openness, with um, receptivity in our walking meditation, I'd like to just teach a little bit of traditional style because no doubt you'll all be sort of walking out and doing long pathways and so on, and we can do some of that. But just to go through, for those of you that are um, less familiar, and I know all of you probably are familiar, and uh, forgive me for going through what is obvious, but again, we're all in the act of remembering because we all forget, <laughs> including ourselves. Is that um, the, the, to find a path to, to walk on? Because you know we have the advantage of a lot of space here. To find a path, usually about twenty to thirty spaces, and it's good for us to start the retreat with holding some sense of form, so that you know we, that form helps us to deepen. And so again, it's exactly what we're doing, except we're more open and we're allowing our sensory experience to come in, we're not just trying to close out. We're just Natural, which is natural. And how is it now? So we're breathing, we're feeling, feeling the feet touching the ground. And then there's different ways. There's the very, very slow from the Burmese school. And some of you might be schooled in that and would like to, to do that. That's fine. So and sometimes that can really be really helpful to really slow things down. And then there's the more natural way of just walking along our path and we go to the end of our path. And again, how is it now? Maybe one or two deep breaths, and then we turn, and then we walk back. So we're just allowing the, the movement of the body, and it's actually just, you know, not making a big thing of it. It's just the movement of the body, it's just so peacefully moving. We're just being present to that. Mm-hmm. And down our path, breathing, giving each other a lot of space so that we're not intersecting each other's paths. So we'll be seeing, listening, and feeling that all, all the sensory experience would be there as we're walking, and we're just allowing the practice itself, and remember, we're not trying not to do the practice so much, but just allowing the simplicity of the practice to actually do itself, and begin to um, be a medicine in our system. Okay, so we've got about uh, 20 minutes or so just to touch into being outside. And then uh, we come back and sit and have some qigong, et etc. And just to say, on this first day, um, as we are arriving, and some of you probably come from busy lives, and you know all the rest of it. Um, if you want to, if you need to rest, um, you know, just take care of yourselves. That's what I'm saying. Is that in this retreat, we have the schedule. It's there to support you, not to tyrannise you. <laughs> So, you know, you all have different body energies, you all have, some of you are dealing with very deep um, medical issues, uh, energetic issues, which affect your body energies. So if you need to rest, rest, rather do that, rest, and, you know, and then you can bring the mindfulness into resting, lay down, and then pick up the schedule and carry on. Do come to these morning instructions, the evening talks, and the check-ins, those are important you know, but there are schedules here just to support you, it's your retreat, okay, so find your own way with what, what works and what's viable, what's, what keeps you in a state of well-being, we'd like you to stay in a state of well-being as much as possible and not just sort of come into this as a kind of, from the place of overly uh, applying too much will and just crashing your system. will it can be good and useful and that, if that's what you want to do that's fine, It's all fine, but just find a balanced way of approaching this whole experience so that you can feel what is right for you in your own rhythm, your own, you know, from wanting to apply more effort to needing to rest. There's a whole range there. Rather than trying to set it for everyone, you'll set it for yourself.